Good morning, Resurrection Church. I am so glad to be here with you. My name is Nathan Mayer. I'm the youngest elder here at Res. Before we begin, I'd actually like us to take a moment. Um, a couple decades ago, there was an event that happened in our nation on this date that um, left scars, that left wounds. And even though very few of us are personally connected with somebody who was affected by the events of September 11th, uh, all of us have felt the consequences in one way or another. So I would appreciate if you would join me in praying for those who were lost, for those who still mourn, and for all of the pain and suffering that still remains in this world until Jesus returns. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your tender mercy toward us, that you're near to the brokenhearted, that you're near to those who mourn and to those who grieve. Thank you that evil is promised to never prevail. Thank you that one day you're going to return and set all things right, and we'll be able to beat our spears into pruning hooks, and we'll be able to beat our swords into plowshares, and we won't have to learn war anymore, and there will be peace on every side. But until that day, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would comfort the brokenhearted, that you would lift up all who are oppressed, that you would heal the broken, and that your justice would prevail, and that the wicked would be brought down in whatever form it exists until the day that Jesus returns to set all things right. We remember those who are lost, and we celebrate the hope of a better future. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So today we'll be continuing in our series on Ephesians, and we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25, through chapter 5, verse 2. So the very end of chapter 4, on to the very beginning of chapter 5. Last week, Daniel got to talk about one of my favorite subjects in Scripture, which is this idea of how you and I were actually new creations in Jesus Christ. That when you and I put our faith in Jesus, he didn't just help us to be a better person or even give us a new heart. He actually made us a new creation. And so for the rest of eternity, we're already a new person, a new creation that will glorify Jesus forever, for all of eternity in heaven. But there's still this old man, this leftover, this baggage that we carry around, sort of like walking around with a dead corpse tied to our back, where you and I have to put off the works of the old man, the person who we used to be, and put on the works of the new man, this new creation that you and I were created to be in Jesus Christ. This week, our lesson is all about the practical outpouring of those truths. So when you and I become a new creation, we're called to live in a new way. We're called to treat each other in a new way. We're called to live as a new community. And this week is all about giving us a picture of what that looks like and why we ought to value that. So we're going to dive right in in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Paul here is talking to the church. He's calling them to live as a new people. So this isn't talking about how you're supposed to treat unbelievers. He's doing family business here. So this is about how I'm supposed to treat you, how you're supposed to treat me, and how we're supposed to live like family. Because I don't know about your family, but my family has plenty of drama. It's actually not always very easy to love family well, right? I get to choose my friends. Uh, I get to choose who I spend a lot of time with. 
I didn't get to pick my brother. <laughs> I didn't get to pick my family or my parents, right? And sometimes uh, that makes it a little hard to love each other well, right? We didn't get to pick each other, but I'm still so glad that we get to be family in Jesus. Let's figure out how to love each other. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, that was a lot of commands, right? And we're going to kind of break this down step by step. But to start us off, if you're a Christian, we, we just talked about you're a new creation. You're a new creature. And more than just being a new creation, you're also a citizen of a new kingdom, a citizen of heaven. So this world, it's not your home. And the rules that this world by, plays by, they're not your rules. And so how... Uh, people from the world treat one another, that's not how you and I are supposed to treat each other. We have a new law, a new kingdom, a new community. We're not supposed to live as the old man anymore. See, that old man, that person you were, BC, how many of you came to Christ a little later in life, like uh, as an adult or a teenager? I did. And man, I don't like the old man at all. Like the person I was before I met Jesus, he was a jerk and he wasn't even happy about it. Like he, did, he was a jerk and didn't like being a jerk. He was selfish and didn't like being selfish. It was like I was just this bad person who wanted to be good but had no idea how to do that. That old man, that's the person you'd be in hell. Selfish, cruel, wicked, no love for God or others. But the new creation that you are in Jesus Christ, that's the person you'll be for all eternity. You'll be that new creation forever. God isn't going to like transmogrify you so that instead of being Nathan, you're going to be an exact copy or clone of Jesus. God actually has created you with a unique personality, unique gifts and desires and talents, unique creativities and gifts and skills. And his vision for you isn't that you would stop being whoever that person is and start being this perfect clone of Jesus, but rather God has a perfect vision for who you with all of your personality and uniqueness and gifts and talents is supposed to be when you perfectly reflect the image of Jesus Christ. And so you're not supposed to give up your creativities and your talents and go be a carpenter and uh, you know, be homeless and preach the gospel so you can be like Jesus. You're supposed to be you, as Jesus would be if you're walking in your shoes. So, with that in mind, let's take a look at some of these scriptures. So our first verse, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So there's a really basic lesson here, right? Don't lie to each other. And that sounds easy, right? Because... Well, yeah, if, if we're playing cards or something and uh, I've got an ace up my sleeve, I'm probably not actually supposed to play that ace up my sleeves, right? That's, that's cheating. We're not supposed to cheat each other. 
Um, if we're telling a story and you just told a really great one and I want to one-up you, but I can't actually think of anything I've done that was more impressive than whatever you just talked about, I'm not supposed to just spin some tale that I just made up in my head to sound more impressive than you. But it's actually a lot more complicated and a lot more challenging than that. See, you and I, a lot of times we come into church with a face on, right? A real special personality that we've crafted that we really only bring out on Sunday mornings or maybe on our Tuesday night small group where we're pretty much perfect. We've got everything together. We don't make mistakes. We don't need forgiveness. We don't need to forgive other people. And all of our hurts, habits, and hangups are in the closet with the skeletons at our house. So um, what this scripture is also exhorting us, commanding us to do is to not come to church and be fake people. Guys, the gospel is for broken people. The gospel is for people who don't have any hope except for in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so when I come to church and I lie to you, it's like me lying to my arm or me lying to my leg. Like, we're one body. None of our secrets are going to stay secret in heaven. Did you know that? There's going to come a day when everything that was secret will be brought to light. Everything hidden will be revealed. And you and I... All of our skeletons are going to get dragged out. And I bet we have some, guys. I bet we have some skeletons, things we don't want other people to know about. It'll be so much better if we start practicing bringing those secrets out into the light and experiencing the forgiveness, not just of God, but of our brothers and sisters as we work out together what it looks like to be the people of God. Don't lie to each other. Put away falsehood and speak the truth. Next one, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So I'm not really an angry person, right? But most of us have experienced unrighteous anger at one point or another, whether you struggle with it or not, right? You've read something on the internet that really just kind of pissed you off. Uh, and you just kind of sit there fuming about it, even though you can't change anything. Or maybe somebody said something unkind to you, and instead of just brushing it off, it kind of sat with you. It's actually okay to be angry. The Bible says be angry, but it says be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. See, our anger, it can be used by God for righteous purposes. You and I were supposed to be angry when the world is unjust and unfair and unkind and cruel, because that's not the way God designed it to be. When we see people mistreated, when we see people oppressed, when we see people trodden down, y'all, we're actually supposed to get angry about that. But the difference is we're supposed to be able to let go of our anger too. We're not supposed to hold on to it because when we hold on to that anger, it becomes this root of bitterness that poisons everything it touches. If I'm angry with a brother or sister, I'm supposed to forgive them quickly rather than holding on to it. We've all heard of that person who the pastor said one thing that they didn't like like six years ago, and they never quite let go of it, right? And so they just held on to it, and eventually everything in the church for them becomes poisoned because they held on to that anger that became a root of bitterness that eventually killed the entire tree of their love for the church. So we're supposed to put off uh, we're not supposed to hold on to anger. We're supposed to put it off regularly. We're supposed to forgive and release and let go. Our next verse says, let the thief no longer steal, 
but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I actually identify a lot with this verse, because there was this time when I was eight. It was the Super Bowl, and we were at Albertsons. And if you've ever gone to the grocery store on Super Bowl Sunday, it is a hot mess. Just like lines that are practically stretching out the building. And I'm just this eight-year-old kid, and man, I really want a donut. You know those 75-cent donuts they have in the, the cabinet there? And I've even got the money. I've got like the dollar or 75 cents or whatever it is. But I just can't bring myself to wait in the line. And so I stole the donut, guys. I stole the donut. I even put the money on the counter, but I'm guessing nobody ever got the money from the counter. So I, I, I confess. And it's actually bothered me ever since then, this 75-cent donut. I've, like, looked for ways to make restitution, but Albertsons doesn't exactly have, like, a form on their website for how you can make up for, like, the $1 donut that you stole 20 years ago. So I just try to buy other people donuts now, and maybe that, that kind of makes up for my mistake. But more practically, this verse doesn't just tell you not to steal, but it says, instead of stealing... Work hard with your hands, and that way you'll have something to share with anyone who's in need. This was actually a conviction of mine recently. I quit my job in 2021 to focus on full-time ministry as a volunteer, and after, I think it was like eight months, I really felt convicted that one of my spiritual gifts is generosity, and I got to the point where I didn't have anything to share with those around me who were in need. And so the Lord led me back to full-time employment so that I can focus on being a tent maker, basically being somebody who provides for their own ministry. And now I get to work with my hands. I'm a software engineer for Amazon, and I have something to share with anybody who's in need around me. Your pastors, your lead pastors, they actually are great examples of this. Mark, he gets up here every single week. And he talks about tithing and generosity, right? Like you guys have heard that exact script 300 times from Mark if you've been here for a while. But the reason he does that, uh, it's not him just trying to convince you to pay his paycheck, right? Because obviously Mark receives a salary from the church. He's asking you to follow his example. Because Daniel, Mark, Steve, all of these guys have made huge financial sacrifices to be the shepherds of this church. Both Daniel and Mark for the better part of a decade, were staff pastors, basically, without receiving any compensation for their work, and actually, on top of that, giving generously to the work of the church while they were doing it. And Steve has, for the better part of a decade as well, taken a significantly lower salary than, I probably shouldn't say this, than might even be legal, because uh, he wants the money that he receives as a missions pastor to be directed towards meeting the needs of missionaries around the world instead of filling his bank account. So they're not asking you to be generous and give as a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do thing. They're actually leading the way in the example that they've set for you. Don't steal. Have something to share with anyone who's in need. Up next, we have verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We're in Bakersfield. Bakersfield's an oil town. And I think there's a certain art and craftsmanship 
in the way that these guys swear. I mean, it's just, I, I worked in the oil and gas industry for five years. These guys are impressive. There's like an artisan craftsmanship in their swearing. I did a training out in Texas with a couple of Canadian oil field guys, and I expected them to be like, you know, oh, I'm sorry about that, eh? Like, uh, just very polite, and, and my goodness, these guys were like, you just felt dirty being, like, hearing the words that were coming out of their mouth. It was like everything had to reference some body part or bodily function, and... Uh, it was, it was just shocking. You know, you, you were impressed and horrified at the same time with the creativity of their illustrations, right? Uh, I used to, when I first came to Christ, I was a part of this tiny, super traditional church out in Virginia. Like, the ladies still wore little doilies on their heads as head coverings, right? Like, old school, super old school. And we would play football out in the grassy field out by the church after service. And I was working on cleaning up my talk, because I had just come to faith, right? And I don't know about you, but the hardest time to, to speak uplifting words is when you just got hurt. So I go to catch a pass, and I'm actually a pretty good receiver. I'm terrible at throwing, but I'm a pretty good receiver. But that football comes down and hits me right on the middle finger and jams it in. And I have never proclaimed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ more loudly or passionately than in that moment. And the six-year-old girl who was standing next to me just kind of looked with this horrified face, <laughs> waiting for the judgment of God to come down on my head, <laughs> like, because <laughs> she had never heard anybody talk like that. Um, more than just not saying bad words, it's actually, uh, I, don't, I don't care if you slip the occasional F-bomb into your talk, more, more power to you, I guess. But really what I'm interested in is, does the way you speak build up those around you? Do you celebrate the image of God in those around you? Does the way you talk break down the image of God in uh, the way you speak about women or men, in the way you speak about your elected officials and leaders? Does it break down the image of God in the way you talk about people who are of different cultures or backgrounds than you? When we speak, it reveals the treasure that's in our heart. And so you can say your one thing, but if your words reflect a different character, I'm going to believe the words that show your character, not who you claim to be. I want you to have good treasure in your heart, and I want your words to reflect that. We should be celebrating the image of God in one another, celebrating the image of God, even in people who are so far from God, they don't look anything like Jesus. Because whether I am walking with Christ or his enemy, I'm still created in the image of God. And how I choose to celebrate that image in other people, call out their potential, build them up, reflects how I value and worship God. And so lift other people up, encourage other people, because even if you don't like them very much, even if they're very different from you, even if you have a hard time getting along with them, they are still made in the image of God and are worthy of honor for that reason, if nothing else. Finally, we have verses 30 through 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and malice and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So, some people get really freaked out about this whole grieving the Spirit of God thing. 
I just want to comfort you and let you know, if you say a bad word, the Holy Spirit is not going to leave you, okay? If you are holding on to unforgiveness, the Holy Spirit has not left you. If you are angry at a brother or sister, the Holy Spirit will not leave you. The Holy Spirit is a seal that God has placed upon us for all of eternity, and nothing I can say or do at this point is ever going to take that spirit out of me. Because to be honest, if there were anything, he'd already be gone. Like day two, uh, this, this house is a little messy for me. I'm going to go back to heaven where it's a lot cleaner and tidier. The Holy Spirit is okay with our mess. But at the same time, you and I, we're called to be the temple of God. And in the Old Testament, when the temple was broken down and in disarray, when it was falling apart, or when there wasn't an offering to be made, it would grieve God's heart to see his temple in such a state. Now, you and I, we're his temple today. We're the temple of the living God. And how we treat one another and speak to one another and feel about one another and value one another, that's like the state of the temple. And so if we're treating one another with love, walking in love together. It's like this big, beautiful, glorious temple that the world looks on and says, wow, only God could build something like that. But when we abuse one another and lie about one another, mistreat one another, then it's like the temple building is broken down. The, the walls are falling apart. People are uh, taking, you know, raising their animals in the temple court. And it grieves God's heart. It grieves the Holy Spirit. So we should... Put away all of the bitterness and anger and wrath that we have towards one another and instead be tender-hearted and kind and gentle and merciful toward each other. Now, that was kind of a lot, right? That was, that was a long list of commands, a lot of do's and don'ts. And it can feel a little overwhelming as a Christian sometimes to see the super high standard that's set out for us and to not, not always feel like, man, sometimes it feels like it's miles above my head and... I've got, like, a, a rope, you know, and, and you can only climb up a rope so high before you just fall back down, and it can feel overwhelming, guys. But the good news is that we're called to the standard for a very different reason than the world tries to aspire to good works, right? The world might try to be good people, but it's, it's so that they can earn something on their own. We're actually called to do good works for a very different reason, and I want to explain that to you. Ephesians 5.1 sums it up perfectly. This is the good news, guys. This is the moneymaker. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. See, we are called to this very high standard. We are called to imitate God. We are called to imitate the character of Jesus Christ. But the reason we're called to do that is because already you and I are beloved children. You see, when I put my faith in Jesus and when you put your faith in Jesus, we were immediately transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. We were transferred from being outside of the fellowship of God to being his kids, to being his children, to being his family. And so you and I, we're already beloved. And there's nothing you can do to earn more of God's love and nothing you can do to deserve less of it. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see how well you performed that day. He doesn't see all of the good things you've done and the bad things you've done and kind of weigh them out and say, okay, they're kind of leaning positive today, so I'll bless them and take care of them. Oh, they're kind of leaning negative today. I'm gonna, you know, send a plague on them or strike them down with lightning. 
That's obviously how God works. Um, No, God looks at you and he actually sees in you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees that person that you'll be for all of eternity because it's already promised, it's already taken care of. He sees that eternal person you'll be when the image of Jesus Christ is perfectly revealed in you. And you've still got all your personality and all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God basically looks to our potential, not to how we're behaving today or how we'll behave tomorrow, but he looks to our potential of who we'll be in eternity forever with him. So that is good news, guys. Like, uh, I don't have to convince my daughter to imitate me, right? Like, my daughter's going to imitate me whether I want her to or not. And so she has uh, started picking up, you know, like, kids swearing from me, like where, where adults talk this way, but it's not really okay for kids to talk this way. So uh, she's been saying things are dumb lately, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I really want her saying things are dumb or people are dumb. Um, and so she's picking up things from me that I don't even necessarily want her to pick up because she loves me, and she is around me a lot, and so she imitates me. You and I were called to imitate God the same way. We're his kids. We're his beloved children. And so as you spend time with him, as you grow in your affection for him, as you learn more about him, guys, if if those things are true, if you really do love him, you're going to become more like him. You're going to be called to imitate him because you're his beloved children. Until that day where he makes you perfect in Jesus Christ, we're aspiring to imitate God more and more. And if I could sum this up, in the way that you and I are actually called to live this out? It's Ephesians 5, 2. Three simple words. Walk in love. Walk in love. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How many of y'all know what the most important commandment is? Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? This actually isn't that. See, Jesus, he reminds us of the Old Testament call to love our neighbor as ourselves. But then in his high priestly prayer, the night before he's executed, he actually gives us a new command. A new command I give to you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. See, that actually is a much higher standard. It's a much higher standard because the way I love myself doesn't even begin to compare with the way that Jesus Christ has loved me. Jesus, he he was reigning in glory in heaven for all of eternity, and he came down being wrapped in flesh. And instead of coming down as a king born into a castle, he was born in the dust with the smell of animals in his nostrils and the humility of a lifetime of work in a poor family. Jesus, he began to proclaim the gospel, and he was rejected by his friends, rejected by his enemies, rejected by the people who were supposed to celebrate him and anoint him as king. And even on the very very day where he should have been anointed as king, instead he was lifted up on a cross, mocked as a false king. And in those hours where Jesus suffered, the Bible says that God looked on him and poured out all of his wrath on Jesus. So it actually says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So God 
actually looked at Jesus and identified with Jesus all of the sin you've ever committed and all of the sin you'll ever commit. And he looked on Jesus and he punished him for what we've done and for what we're going to do. And instead of you and I having to carry that, instead it says, he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. So Jesus, he gave up everything. He humbled himself and emptied himself, poured himself out for you and I. And guys, that is the call of our love for one another. It's not enough to love, uh, to be a good neighbor to each other. We're called to love one another just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Love, this kind of love, it's not optional. We, we have so many fake things that we put in a priority above loving one another. It's like in our church list. We've got, okay, do you read your Bible? Do you go to church on Sundays? Do you volunteer on a team? Are you serving somewhere outside in the community? Okay, you do those things? You must be a really good Christian. But I haven't once asked you how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. But John, he doesn't mince words. He says, if you do not love the brotherhood, then you do not love God. If you do not love one another, then whatever words you're saying about how much you love God, it's fake, it's bogus, it's a lie. You might be lying to yourself, but you do not love God if you do not love the brotherhood, if you do not love one another. And so love, this love, it's not optional. It's, it's one of our highest commands. If we have nothing else, if we, if we have to give up everything else, but we still love God and we love one another, we're doing pretty well. But we could have all this other stuff, this laundry list of things that we do, do, do for the glory of God. And if we don't love each other, then we're failing to live out the life that God has called us to. Love, it's, it's sacrificial. It pours itself out and it seeks the highest good of those who receive it. So you and I, I'm not called to love you in this weird enabling way. Like we've all met the parent, right? who loves their kids, quote-unquote, by giving them whatever they want. That's not the kind of love I'm talking about. I don't want you to love me by just, like, letting me live a really comfy life and not having to ever do anything hard, and you just kind of pamper me, and, you know, I need some people with uh, palm fronds wafting air at me because it's always really hot in Bakersfield. That's not what love looks like. Love looks like seeking the highest good of the recipient, the most Godward good, the thing that will help them to best reflect the image of Jesus Christ in their lives. Also, love requires taking a chance. I wanted, uh, Mark, Mark wanted them to change my walk-up music to this song by Ella Fitzgerald called uh, Take a Chance on Love. And that would have been perfect, right? Because that's basically what I'm asking you to do. I want you to take a chance on love. But not like in our romantic modern version where we take a chance on this really kind of mean and uh, bad guy who, you know, he, he doesn't love Jesus and he doesn't love my parents and he doesn't love me, but he's really cute. I'm going to take a chance on love and date him anyway because maybe eventually he'll become... That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's not the kind of taking the chance on love I mean. What I mean is love is kind of risky business. Like some of y'all are thinking... I do a great job loving. I can't even remember the last time I had any malice or clamor or slander or anger toward any of my brothers and sisters. Now, I haven't talked to them in 10 years, but, you know, I, I don't have any of the malice or anything like that, right? So often, we're afraid to get involved in other people's lives. We're afraid of the messiness that comes with that. 
We distance ourselves from love for one another because we're afraid that we'll mess it up, that we'll fail, that we'll um, falter. But that's like the parent who distances themselves from their kids because they're afraid they'll screw their kids up. But in the process, you actually, you mess your kid up by distancing yourself. What we need is love. We don't need you to be perfect. We don't need you to have it all together. We don't need you to have all the right answers. We need you to love one another deeply from your heart, from your soul, because Jesus loved you in that same way. I want you to take a chance on love. Here's your takeaway, guys. Um, maybe, maybe you've heard about this call to love one another, to love God, and you think, well, that's a foreign concept to me. Maybe you don't love God. Maybe you don't know what it is to really be a new creation in Jesus Christ. I have good news for you. The gospel is sufficient for you. You can become a beloved child by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and being a part of this family that God has invited you into. Maybe God is still pulling on you about finding your new. Guys, I, I read an article a couple days ago, and it had a good heart, but it just, it just struck me as so disappointing. The whole point of this article was asking you to give the first two minutes of your time after service at church to a stranger so you can build new relationships. And that sounds like a good idea, right? But has our bar really gotten that low, that like this big call that we can have after church is just talk to somebody you don't know for two minutes, and that's, that's enough. You've done, you've done your part. Guys, I don't want to call you to something simple. I want to call you to something crazy, something big. If you look at your life today, if you look at your life and you look around and you only see people that you call brothers and sisters— but nobody that you really believe are your brothers and sisters? If you look around and you're distant from the church that God has bought, from the church that God has called you into as a part of his family, then reach out, grab somebody by the shirt, pull them in close, say, gosh, I want to do life with you. I want to be a part of your family. I want you to have a key to my house. I want to be uh, your brother. I want to be your sister. I want to love you because Christ loved me first. I had a brother who put his faith in Jesus Christ during our first service. And it was awesome getting to talk with him. And gosh, I, I just told him, I want you to, to be over as often as you want to be over. I want us to have this messy relationship where you get to see all of my baggage and you get to see how I actually treat my family. And you get to come in and actually pray with me and walk with me and talk with me, eat meals with me. Because that's what this family is supposed to be like. That's what this family is supposed to feel like. So if you don't have that, give up whatever you have to. Give up everything else to find it. If you're serving in 20 different places and don't have time for intimate relationship with another brother or sister, I know which one you need to prioritize. If you are doing all of this work, you've got 70 hours a week of work and you are so important at your job, but you don't have time to really fellowship, to really love, to really be one with your brothers and sisters in Christ, I know which one you need to give up. Guys, this is our call. This is how the world is supposed to know that God is among us. This is how we're supposed to proclaim his glory to the world, by the love that we have for one another. Maybe you've just been distant from the church because of hurt or unforgiveness or shame or brokenness. As our elders come forward and we, we offer you to pray, I would like you to experience the forgiveness and acceptance of God through his people. 
Stop running from the people that God has called you to love like Jesus Christ. This is what you were made for. This is what you were created for. And as we come and pray, I would invite you to just pray with somebody sitting right in the pew next to you. You don't have to, there's nothing magical about an elder. There's nothing magical about the people who are standing up here at front. Your prayer doesn't get bonus points because you come up to the front. Pray with somebody sitting next to you. Come forward and receive prayer. But do not neglect to pray. And do not neglect to pray together. Guys, I want you to love and love well. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your tender love for us, for your grace toward us, that you're compassionate with us and patient with us, that you've made us new people in Jesus Christ. And thank you that when you called us to this new life, you also called us to a new family, to a new community. God, I confess that so often I've failed. So often I've failed to live this out, to love my brothers, to love my sisters with everything I am, to love them as you loved me. I confess and ask that you would forgive me and give me a new heart. Lord, would your spirit move in me and move in this church? Would you bind us together in love? Would you compel us to reach out in love for one another, to take a chance on love, to risk everything for the sake of love so that a watching world can look at us and know that God truly is here among us, that God truly is the only one who could build a family like this. And I pray that you would use us in that love to glorify your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.